You thought that you could have it all And life could be a ball But you fell and scabbed your knee Now you can be Good day. Welcome to the Recovering CEO podcast. Uh, Today we're going to talk a little bit about alcoholism, specifically alcoholism and how it affects people in business, um, how it could cost people to lose their jobs, uh, lose their family, lose their livelihood. Uh, It's a big deal. Alcoholism, drug addiction affects a lot of people in the business world. And because the recovering CEO is really about, um, you know, I'm a business businessman. I've run my own company for many, many years. So I'm recovering from the business world, which is often difficult and uh, moving more towards recovery work, but I'm also recovering and I'm a CEO, which is uh, tough things to juggle. So let's talk a little bit about it. I'm going to read from the AA big book, um, page 31 in more about alcoholism. I'm just going to read a little bit here and then we'll talk about it. It says, we do not like to pronounce any individual an alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a bad case of the jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. All right. So a lot of people ask themselves, you know, am I an alcoholic? I don't know. Um, I remember when I was debating getting sober, you know, I asked a lot of people, am I an alcoholic? Do you think I'm an alcoholic? And honestly, if you ask that question to people, the majority will say no. You know, a lot of my friends said, no, you're not an alcoholic. Um, My one friend used to say, he said, alcoholics, you know, have trouble getting along with people. You have so many friends, everybody loves you. You're not an alcoholic, you know, or my my parents couldn't comprehend that I was an alcoholic. Um, partially because people don't understand alcoholism, you know, and, and also I did such a good job of hiding my addiction from people that nobody really saw the worst of it. You know, nobody knew how I felt inside because of my drinking and because of my behavior. So nobody could really answer that. You know, I remember I asked my medical doctor, um, you know, am I an alcoholic? And he said, well, I have no idea. He said, it may be safer for you to stop drinking, you know? And uh, for me, I had no idea what I was an alcoholic because like I said, I was adopted. My biological family, which I'll talk more about later, was riddled with alcoholism. And I had no idea. You know, I just thought I had um, made poor decisions, had bad willpower, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so the story we're about to read in this book really talks about, it's about to talk about, uh, someone working in business. Uh, you know, I was 24 years old when I got sober. Let me read this story here. We'll talk a little bit about, um, all right, we'll read a little more here. Though there's no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who show definite signs of alcoholism we're able to stop for a long period because of an empowering desire to do so. Here is one. All right, here's a story. 
A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here's a man who had 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday you'll be immune to alcohol. And I'm going to stop reading there again. That is in the AA Big Book, uh, page 32 and 33 in the chapter more about alcoholism. Um, in this story, you know, the guy, 30 years old, he wanted to succeed in business, right? Not, not unlike a lot, of, a lot of you out there listening. You want to succeed in business. You want to do well. You want to earn money for your family so you can go on vacations and, you know, pay for your kid's college and do all, you know, buy the car you want, buy that new electric vehicle you want. So this person had the discipline to stop at age 30, which I can tell you is not easy. And they stopped and they just said, I'm stopping. I'm not going to drink. And for 25 years, they, they didn't drink. That's a long time. I know from experience because I have over 25 years sober, you know, and then they retired at age 55. I'm not there yet. Uh, it's in a few more years. And within, I don't know, what did it say? A, a couple of years, uh, four years, maybe less. He was dead, you know, just dead. Uh, alcohol killed him. You know, alcohol is a poison. Um, if you're a heavy drinker, you know it. You know, if you're honest about it. Um, and you can see in heavy drinkers what it does to them. You know, it changes your skin color. It causes you to, you know, get a red rash around your nose. It, it kills you. You know, it's, um, that's why we have hangovers. That's why, for me, I always like to throw up when I drank because I, could, I didn't want all that alcohol sitting in my system. But that was bad. I mean, that's just bad. It's a poison, you know, and uh, it's really not a good drug. You know, that's one of the reasons for me personally, I switched to marijuana, you know, because uh, I really liked the effect alcohol had on me. You know, I was always chasing that feeling of being drunk. Um, but I really hated the results, you know, I hated the hangovers, feeling sick. Um, I did not want to get a drunk driving 
amazingly, I didn't get a drunk driving. You know, that's something these days. I don't know. I, I'm just glad we didn't have uh, Facebook, social media and all that stuff when, when I was drinking, you know, I did most of my drinking in college. There was no social media, thank God. And, uh, I just couldn't imagine because the things that I did and that we did when we were drinking was really bad. And I drove drunk a lot. Um, I was often, unless I was really bad, but I was often just the person who was a designated driver, you know, the least, least drunk, um, which really I wasn't, you know, and if I was too bad, my other friend would drive and I have no idea how he was. Uh, somehow we survived, you know, I think it is kind of like rolling the dice. Um, so I survived, you know, and I actually, you know, I got sober because I graduated college. Um, I actually lived in my parents' basement and I waited tables and I got sober. It was funny because when I was interviewing for my first job out of college, this is right after college, I was interviewing and I'm like, oh yeah, this restaurant reminds me a lot of the bars and eat, you know, at, at, up at college. And, um, and I got hired, you know, and I realized that that restaurant, their number one job was to push alcohol, to sell alcohol, uh, higher alcohol sales. And uh, that really was hard for me to do because right after I got the job, I was really trying to get sober, you know? And by trying, you know, I went to a few meetings at a time uh, one meeting a week, you know, I remember, I remember going to my first a meeting and it was at an Alano club, one of those sober clubs. And it was back when they allowed smoking. So there was just a room full of smoke. And I remember there was a woman over by the coffee and she was pretty. And I was like, Oh, this is my first, first time in a meeting, you know? And she's like, Oh, well come sit at this table. It's a good table. And, and so I went and sat down at her table and it was a first step table and I had my coffee and um, it was weird. You know, I barely remember anything. The only thing I remember is there was some guy there in like a white V-neck t-shirt. And he just kept pulling at his hair and saying, why am I here? I can't believe I'm here. You know, and he had such a problem with cocaine. And it was just like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, here I am surrounded by people. You know, I just graduated college. Sure, it took me six years to graduate college. Sure, I barely graduated. Failed multiple classes. Um, struggled a lot. Got in trouble a lot. Um, but still I was a college graduate. I came from money and I was sitting in this table with people that were barely, barely hanging on like barely, uh, they had, some of them had lost everything, you know, some of them hadn't, some of them were brand new sober and, um, it kind of freaked me out, you know, and that summer I kind of experimented with AA and I really, it was hard to commit. <clears throat> But, you know, for me, honestly, when I was trying to quit alcohol and drugs, um, one of the things that bothered me is that I had trouble sticking to my word. You know, so I would say, I'm not going to drink anymore. And then a few days later, I would change my mind and say, you know what, I'm going to drink. <laughs> I remember at the restaurant I worked at, you know, all the people there, I'd be like, yeah, hey, I don't drink. I don't drink. And I, f I feel like they felt like I was a narc or something. But then one day I'd come back in and be like, hey, I'm drinking. You know, we should hang out. But it just wasn't natural and normal. And it didn't feel right. You know, did I really want to sit there and drink with those people? You know, not really. Um, not really, because I, I watched and a lot of them, they had been doing that for a long time. You know, for many, many years. Uh, waiting tables, bartending, taking their tip money at the end of the night. And uh, 
sitting at the restaurant and getting drunk every night going home. And uh, I just didn't want to do that. You know, that wasn't the life I saw for myself, you know, and that's part of the reason I got sober is because I could feel in my heart, you know, in my chest, and I'm kind of hitting my solar plexus right here. You know, I could feel right here that this was not what God intended for me to do in my life. It was not. The life that um, I was living on drugs and alcohol was going against my my nature. You know, the, the person that I became with drugs and alcohol, I mean, that was me locked in my apartment, alone, peeking out the window, paranoid that the FBI is watching me. You know, I didn't have a shotgun, but I could have had a shotgun. You know, just going crazy, not able to hold a job, not able to interact with people, certainly not able to help others or to do positive things for society. You know, I was not a positive member of society. I was not a plus on society. I wasn't helping people. And um, I could feel it. I could feel it right in my chest. And that was, that's part of, I think, you know, in, in AA and in AA, they talk about aligning my will with God's will, you know, and that's, to me, that means doing what I'm meant to do. You know, I believe we're all put into this world. We all have a purpose. You know, we all have a purpose. We see it. Um, we see it in movies. You know, we see it in life. We see it. We all have a purpose. And the question I want to ask you as a listener, do you know what your purpose is? Is your purpose to be drunk all the time? You know, is your purpose to spend all your money on drugs and alcohol or maybe lose all your money in gambling? Uh, is your purpose to lose your family, to leave your kids? You know, is your purpose to die alone? Uh, even this person, right? He lived to 50, 55 and then started drinking. He died quickly within a few years, embarrassed, demoralized, alone. Um, is that your purpose? You know, and it didn't feel right, right? So I wanted to live a life where I could help others. I wanted to live a life where I could work in business, where I could be successful, you know? So in many ways, like this person, I did quit drinking. You know, I quit drinking at the age of 24, um, took my last drink. August 13th, 1996, I had quit marijuana about six months before that. Um, but I made a commitment, you know, and, and the thing was, I always say that quitting alcohol was the best decision I ever made in my entire life, right? It was a very difficult decision, very difficult because I loved it. I loved getting high. I loved getting drunk and stopping just seemed very permanent. Now they teach us one day at a time you know, which means I need to stay sober today and they'll think about tomorrow, but I need to stay sober today. And, um, you know, one of the biggest reasons I quit, there's a few reasons I quit. One is I hated the wishy-washiness, right? Like I said, one day I was drinking, the other day I wasn't drinking. I could not make up my mind and I couldn't stick to it. And that's embarrassing. You know, when I was 24 years old, I looked up the definition of what does it mean to be a man? And what it means to be a man is to do what you say you're going to do. Right. So I say I'm going to do something and I do it. And that's a commitment. You know, um, that led Zeppelin song, you know, in the days of my youth, I was told what it means to be a man. Now that I've reached that age, I try to do the best I can. You know, <laughs> I could not make a decision and I needed to be able to make a decision. 
And so also I was at a fish concert. And uh, some of you may appreciate this story. I was big into the Grateful Dead and fish. I went to a lot of concerts in my last, you know, I really only used for like six years. <laughs> so in my last few years, I went to a lot of concerts, you know, really kind of tried to maximize my drug and alcohol use over the six years that I did it. Um, but I was at a fish show and I was right in the middle of the lawn and I had, I had had a few drinks, you know, I had a few beers and, uh, actually my last drink was I bought a hemp necklace from this sister on the, at the, at the, in the lawn. And I wanted to buy it. It was 10 bucks. And so I had to go buy two beers in order to get a 10 because I only had a 20. <laughs> so I went and bought two beers, came back, gave her a 10, drank the beer. And then right when the show started, August 13th, 1996, Deer Creek, right when the show started, um, Divided Sky opener, I had to take a piss. I had to go to the bathroom and I was in the middle of the lawn. The bathroom was far away. So I had to run forever to get to the bathroom, miss a good song. And as I sat there, you know, I was like, this sucks, this sucks. And then that night we went back to the campground because that was before I was paying for hotels. Um, my buddy and I were in a campground and we came back to the campground after the show. It was a great show. And uh, earlier that day, I, I didn't buy any beer at the store, right? So I had no alcohol. I had no alcohol. I had already been sober from marijuana for, you know, over six months. And so here I was in the campsite. And there was big drum circles and people were hanging out and all these beautiful women. And everyone was having fun and getting high and drinking. And I had no alcohol. I had no... I had one friend there, right? But um, I certainly had no girlfriend and I just felt lonely and alone, you know, and I just crawled into my tent alone and just curled up and said, I'm going to bed. And, um, and I did, I went to bed. I didn't drink that night. I certainly didn't get high. And that was my last drink. That was my last day of drinking. And I kept that sobriety date, August 13th, 1996, because in many ways of the misery I felt, you know, and I was alone in that tent and I had a strong pull in my stomach to, that I wanted to drink. I wanted to drink so bad, but I knew where was I going to get enough alcohol? You know, I didn't have any, how much alcohol could I mooch off people or buy from people? I didn't have much money, you know? And, uh, so that feeling in my gut, just the pulling of wanting alcohol, the annoyance of having to take a leak at the beginning of the show and missing part of it. And then also the months before that, I was going back, forth, back, forth between drinking and not drinking. So I took that sobriety date, August 13th, 1996. I put a stake in the ground and I said, this is my sobriety date. Boom. Best decision I ever made. Okay. It's all about making a decision. It's my decision. It's my choice. It's my choice if I want to get sober. It's your choice if you want to get sober, right? You can dilly-dally all you want, you know? In order for me to get sober, my own enlightened self-interest must tell me that I need to get sober. Nobody else. You know, my wife can't tell me to get sober. My boss can't tell me to get sober. My kids. None of that works. I have to be the one to say, I want to get sober. I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to get sober. So August 13th, 1996. Um, and I committed. You know, so once I'm sober now, then what am I going to do? I'm going to start going to meetings. Um, we didn't really have podcast back then. We didn't have the internet so much, a little bit of internet, but certainly nothing like this. And, uh, so I just committed, you know, and every day I was doing something, tell my sobriety every day, 
I was, you know, working the steps and, and doing the deal, going to meetings. And um, I encourage you to go to meetings. You know, this podcast is really a supplement. You know, if anyone listening to this podcast is a drug addict, alcoholic, uh, sex addict, gambling addict, video game addict, I don't care. I don't care what you're addicted to. There are programs for you. Okay, I encourage you to listen to this podcast to help you. I'm going to give you my insights, and I think they will help you because, you know, 25 years uh, sober from drugs and alcohol with, you know, <laughs> 10 plus years of experience in uh, sex addiction programs and over, and over two years of sobriety. I mean, I've been around a lot of meetings. I've been around a lot. I understand it. I've studied it, you know, I, uh, and I'm studying to learn more. You know, my, my job is to learn more and then to share it with you. So this podcast, I think, can supplement your sobriety. This podcast can give you hope. Um, this podcast can help you stay sober and help you decide whether you have it or not, whether you're an alcoholic or not, or a drug addict or anything, you know. Um, I want to help you with that. And again, uh, my name is Derek, the Recovering CEO. I wish you a safe, sober, and happy day. And come back tomorrow and listen again. Thanks and have a good day. God bless. You thought that you could have it all And life could be a ball But you fell and scabbed your knee